The last time I was here, I made brief reference to Marie Kondo, the decluttering guru. In 2015, she made the Time Magazine's listicle among the 100 most influential people of the year. One of the guiding principles of her exercises in making life simpler is to go through one's things and ask, does this bring me joy? The Marie method suggests that you should get rid of non-joy-affirming things. While I don't consider myself a keeper of things, except for books, ties, clothes, maybe shoes, I wondered about this when I thought about thank you cards. I have a particular affection for them, and I've kept them throughout the years. In the offices that I've often had, I always keep at least one or two thank you notes. I keep them around to remind me of this notion of gratitude, that if I had some significant impact in someone's life, and they thought so much of me, I think it appropriate to keep it around. In this age of technology, I find these sorts of things important given that messages of thank you often come via text or via email, and those often get read just like a sort of check. And while interview etiquette dictates that one should send a thank you note after an interview, it is possible that some candidates bypass this gesture. Recently, after interviewing an applicant, me and a colleague found it strange that we didn't get a thank you email. And my curiosity about how long one should keep these types of items, I was surprised to read that the standard practice is that you keep a card for seven days. I'm not sure about you, but that seems to be a short amount of time. I especially thought about this as I read about Sheldon Yellen, the CEO of Bedford Holdings, a property restoration company. Yellen sends handwritten birthday cards to his 9,200 employees every year. It's said, that he, it's said that he often travels with a suitcase full of stationery and writes thank you notes and other personalized notes, not only to employees, but also to their loved ones. According to Business Insider, he's been writing such notes since the 80s. After he was hired by his brother-in-law, other employees started to wonder whether he was getting special treatment. Instead of asserting his authority as, fam as family of the boss, he instead decided to send birthday cards. His strategy was that people would come by his office and if nothing else, would say thank you. It worked. People would come by and thank him, and instead of the typical office backbiting because he was related to the boss, he created in its place community. Thank yous go a long way. The world we live in these days seem to remind us so much of our differences, that to hear or read a thank you note or car truly is a breath of fresh air. I thought about a thank you card I received a few years ago from a graduate intern I was supervising. During a particular tense political climate in an organization I was working for, this particular intern was of a different political persuasion than our organization. She could often be seen 
being uncomfortable because she would often hear a lot of things that were being said at the office. I made it a point to bring this up with her in our weekly one-on-one meetings, allowing her to voice her experience. I thought it important to note that while there were many differences among us, we should embrace our differences and opinions and talk. In her thank you note upon leaving, which she gave me with a lovely red Ferragamo tie, which I'm wearing today, she said, Dear Mickey, I want to thank you for providing me with guidance, feedback, support, advice, criticism, compassion, and wisdom. You and I are aware of our differences. And because of our differences, I believe I will be a better clinician. Well, I've shared these gestures of the card and tie with some colleagues, and I've heard a comment or so about some passive-aggressive element in giving this tie. I thought about it a bit differently. I actually thought about the gratitude that compelled this young clinician to share with me her thanks. Truthfully, she didn't have to say anything at the end of our journey together. She could have parted quietly. But no, she made it a point to say thanks. In our gospel lesson, we hear of a certain outcast who, experiencing a healing, returns to Jesus to give thanks. That text, the text emphasizes that in some way it was peculiar that he gave thanks. Apart from being afflicted from some skin disease and ma- that made him ritually unclean, he was a foreigner, maligned by cultural mores. An outcast among outcasts, dismissed and double-scorned, belittled by the labels unclean and foreign-born, came back with thanks for Jesus and then went on his way, An outcast among outcasts showed grateful faith that day. This outcast was part of a quarantine group that was feared not because they were technically dangerous, but because they represented epidemic proportions of threat to groupthink. And at that, in this group, he was the outsider. Imagine an outsider among outsiders. Not a whole lot to give thanks for. I'm sure that this man knew what it felt to experience the fear of loneliness and isolation. I'm sure he also knew the yearning of wanting community and connection. We all yearn this in some way, whether we be extroverts or introverts. We need connection, as one of John Donne's meditations remind us no human is an island entire of itself. Every human, a piece of the continent, a part of the main. The outcast reminds me that on some level we too can be an outcast to someone, somewhere. And maybe this is plain injustice. In his letter from the Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King would say what still rings true today, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an unescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Whether we realize it or not, afflicted, oppressed, and marginalized people affect us. 
No, they aren't a threat to us. They are a witness to who we are as a people, what we have become, what we choose not to do, who we let in and who we decide to exclude. In a world that divides and label, labels, we are summoned to wonder, how shall we respond? What will our civility demonstrate? Thinking about it, it's easy to write thank you notes, but it's much harder to stand for the underdog, or at the very least, thinking about what it means to be an outlier. I've gone through seasons in my life where I could easily identify as the outcast. As a person of color, I often experience microaggressions that might seem silly to some, but are painful nonetheless. At a wedding I performed a few years ago, I was asked by a guest if I would be rapping the ceremony I prepared. A genre of music that, by the way, I don't care much for. But while I could go through the list of how I might be maligned by, the, by who I might think to be perceived by, this exercise could be a futile attempt to affirm my humanity and sacredness. While reflecting on perception has its possibilities, it holds not much promise if, we don't, if it doesn't help us be reminded of the many dimensions of our humanness, flaws and glory alike. It begs to wonder why our minds get stuck to perceptions of negativity. I heard this metaphor recently where our minds can be Velcro for automatic negative thoughts or ants as cognitive behaviorists would call them and Teflon for positive thoughts. Meaning we get, we get stuck to stinking thinking and easily lose thoughts on how abundant our lives really are with wondrous grace. And while our outcast protagonist in the gospel lesson could have, could have lived in Velcro thinking for his leprosy or foreignness, he experienced the freedom of gratitude. You see, gratitude is an act of freedom, of realizing that you are in receipt of something, of some act, and you can decide how you experience such. Catholic spiritual writer Henri Nguyen said to be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy, but to be grateful for all of our lives, the good and the, as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections. That requires hard spiritual work. Still, we are only truly grateful people when we can say thank you to all that has brought us to the present moment. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift of God to be grateful for. Diana Butler Bass writes in her book, Grateful, the Subversive Practice of Giving Thanks, that gratitude involves the issue of me and the issue of we. In our gospel text, we experience the outcast as someone who readily admitted his gratefulness because he knew what he had experienced. The freedom of saying thanks was probably his first test in whether he experienced grace in a transformative way. Instead of counting all the ways he had been wronged by life, nature, disease, if he wanted to live anew, he needed to give thanks. 
he needed to start from a place of gratitude. That might not have been so easy as we heard in the gospel text. It probably was difficult, maybe even impossible, but he looked within and found a place from which to recognize hope, and from that place witness grace. When we live in gratitude and make it a part of our relationships, it changes the narrative of divisiveness and self-centeredness and encourages community connection and dialogue. How are you with this practice of gratitude, I ask this morning? Can you go to that place within that even in the depths of pain and distress, you might be able to see something other than that? The other issue of gratitude involves us as a community. Butler Bass writes, whether you write a thank you note to grandma does not matter much in this larger sense. But how you, how we, appreciate the ties that bind us as a larger society matters greatly to everyone. How we live together in and with gratitude makes all the difference in the world. Indeed, living gratefully makes the world differently. Why not challenge ourselves actually right now? If you'll allow me, how about we sit for a few moments and hold something that we are grateful for in our lives, be it a person, be it a, a moment, be it an event. Let's just sit in that gratefulness for a moment. Now imagine that we just sat in gratefulness. And maybe church is an appropriate place to practice gratitude. But how about when you sit in traffic, or on the train, or the bus, or a plane, or a walk through uncertainty? Can you hold an image of something for which you may be grateful for? While gratitude practices seem to be a new age thing, it's actually a life-altering habit that could change things among strangers, foreigners, even lepers, and remind us that no matter where we've been or where we are going or what we are going through, there is freedom to say thanks. 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 Thanks be to God and God's people. Amen.